Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Today's guest on the podcast is Eric Curran. And Eric is a friend of AFP. We've known Eric for quite a long time. He used to write a column for us way back in the day. It doesn't feel like it that long ago in one sense. And on the other sense, though, as we're looking at each other on Zoom, we have gray in our beards. So we are definitely older. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric uh, is a former Stanton City Councilman who is once again running for a seat on Stanton City Council. Eric, welcome. Thanks, Chris. It's really good to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to talk with you as well. Uh, and um, so you're official on the ballot and I've got to ask the first question, and, and this is a sincere question, even though it doesn't sound like it. Why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah, well, um, as you know, I served two terms on Stanton City Council, and uh, I was unsuccessful in my re-election bid two years ago. That was a tough election. It was uh, beginning of COVID. Nobody had ever gone through anything like that before, and we really didn't know how to run a, a race in a situation like that. And there was also this big gun rights push. And so, um, uh, you know, the way I look at it is, is myself and the other two incumbents lost uh, because we voted against the Second Amendment sanctuary. Um, and so, you know, I've had two years to rest, to think about things, to ask myself about our society, our politics. I'm, I read a lot of history and I've really been getting into the Civil War. And I've started to think, you know, in 1860, Americans were pretty polarized and everybody knows what happened. And it was awful. I don't think we're facing that kind of situation again, but I do think we're really polarized. It, it comes on the national level it, and then it trickles down to the state. And unfortunately, it came down to Stanton to the local level two years ago. Well, that's never how Stanton was in the past, Chris. Uh, you know, we were always pretty independent. Uh, we were independent in spirit. You know, we, we always run as independent candidates, but, but back then some people ran as partisan candidates. Um, and now some people want to run as partisan candidates again. And I don't want to see that happen. So I felt like I more or less had to run. Number one, I want to protect the tradition of nonpartisan government that we have at the local level, where we just cooperate on stuff like schools, economic development, and fixing potholes that are not Republican or Democrat issues, they're just issues. And then number two, I'm the only person with any experience on city council who was ready to step up. I kept waiting for other people to do it. And the only ones who, who did, bless their hearts, uh, were, were people who hadn't done it before. And I think it, it could be wonderful to have some new folks in there, but I think just having new folks uh, in, in, in the difficult, contentious city council environment that we have, I'm not sure that that will calm things down and improve local government. So, so I felt like, you know, more or less obliged to step forward and bring my experience to bear. Now, after, after you lost the, uh, you and your, your colleagues lost in that 2020 race, um, you stepped away for a bit. You kind of maybe recharged your batteries. Of course, you have other things to do in life too, just like we all do. Um, What did that time away, um, how how did that maybe clear your mind a bit and and get you ready for this this challenge? So I really, I thought about what's important to me in life. I thought about, you know, I love living in Stanton. Stanton has a high quality of life. And one of the reasons it's so high quality is because we've had really good local government. Our taxes are fairly low compared to a lot of places where people come from, they're very low. 
Um, our service services are very high quality. Our town is beautiful. The historic preservation and the improvements have just been getting better and better every year. It's been getting more appealing for people to move in. It's been getting more appealing for tourists. Our property values are going up. Things were moving in the right direction. And over the last two years, I had to ask myself, are things still moving in the right direction? With all the contentiousness on city council and the partisanship, you know, to bring in national issues uh, where the city doesn't really have any authority. So all it does is help people win elections and then split citizens apart. Um, it's a cheap way to win elections um, and it leaves lasting damage on our civic fabric. So I thought about that too for two years and I thought, well, you know, the beauty of our local government systems down here, Chris, as you know, in cities like Stanton, Waynesboro, Harrisonburg, is that they're a council manager system. So you do have the professional city manager and the city officials who remain even when the council uh, changes during uh, at elections. You know, we don't have a strong mayor like they have in Richmond. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, maybe the city staff will just be able to keep things moving along even keel. And unfortunately, they weren't protected either. Uh, in the end, it's a democracy and the elected officials are the ones who have the voter mandate. If they wanna change things with the city staff, they can change them. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm not sure that the changes were for the better, but I'm really concerned about the way they were done, that there wasn't much transparency, the things were done in haste, that it seemed very partisan. Um, and, and no good reasons were given for a lot of changes that were made in the city. And so I started to think over the last two years, Chris, well, if somebody doesn't step forward to put the train back on the tracks, uh, it's going to be a big derailment. And, and I continue you know, to like Stanton. I care about Stanton. I want to keep living here, and I want the place to keep getting better. And so more and more, I started to think, yeah, somebody's got to step forward. You mentioned the city manager uh, fiasco. I mean, I'll call it a fiasco. You mentioned the city manager situation. I'll call it a fiasco. It's still ongoing. Um, you know, Steve Rosenberg had been in place. When, when was he first hired? I know you were, you were already on the city council when he was there. Yeah, that's a good question, Chris. It might have been during my second term. Okay, okay, um, yeah, yeah. I remember Steve from his days in Augusta County as well. He was an assistant administrator there. So he had a long tenure, you know, not just in Stanton, but also locally, just in general. Um. And we're, we're, we're close to, we're getting on six months, I think, since he was, uh, you know, pushed out, let's just say he officially resigned, but it was made clear that he would need to resign by the current city council majority. Um, uh, and, and there's still, there's still, there's still nobody permanently in place. There is, you know, there is someone who's, who's running the city uh, in an interim capacity, but I mean, how long can we go uh, with an interim city manager, that, that just can't be a good situation. That person has to feel like they're walking on eggshells. And as a result, the whole organization has to feel like that. Um, that's got to be priority number one, I would think, for, for the city council in the future. We've always had very able city managers who have run a professional staff of experts trained in their fields with experience uh, using our tax dollars well to make the, the the best decisions for the city. And so I think you're right. I think we need another city manager. I think Leslie Beauregard, the former deputy and now acting city manager is, is an excellent manager. And I don't know if she plans to, uh, you know, put her, her hat in the, in the ring to, to be the, the full city manager. 
but yes, I think you're right. I, I think we need a permit city manager. And I guess the fear would be whether it would be her um, uh, or, or someone brought in from outside that the partisanship that we're seeing, and you mentioned this earlier, um, could play a role in um, that hiring process. And certainly, um, you, you know, running, as you mentioned, fixing potholes, making sure the trash gets picked up, making sure public works uh, does what it needs to do, et cetera, parks and rec and everything else. Um, that's not Republican or Democrat, but if, if a person is put in place through a partisan process, that, that can't be good for, for administration purposes, I would assume. You know, it's interesting, Stanton claims to be uh, the birthplace of the yes. council manager form of government. And the whole purpose of it was that things were chaotic before that. I understand we had a bicameral legislature. I mean, imagine a, a place the size of Stanton having two city councils, like, you know, the Senate and the House. It's, it's ludicrous. And there was all sorts of patronage and there was a lot of partisanship and, you know, obviously a lot of corruption. So the beauty of professional city management is that it takes the partisanship out of running a, a city and just makes it about, in theory at least, doing what's best for the citizens. Now, of course, city management should not be a faceless bureaucracy that is unresponsive to the requests and the needs of the people. And there's a reason why city council is at top and the city manager is underneath. And so I think city council does need to provide direction in terms of vision. And of course, uh, city council has a right to appoint whatever city manager they want. So if there is a majority now on city council, it's quite possible that they'll bring in a city manager that the citizens won't be that happy with. So that's another reason why I think it's important to get experienced people on city council so that, you know, for example, myself, I would be ready on the first day to ask questions about the city manager hiring process to make sure that things were done in the open, because I know about the rules for open meetings. I know about the rules for FOIA. The challenge is when you have new people in there. I remember this well, Chris, um, and you've talked to a lot of local elected officials. You know, it's not easy to just start work the first day you're elected if you've never had experience in local government before. For me and for most others I know on Stanton City Council, it takes about two years to learn all the stuff you got to learn. The FOIA, the open meetings, the Roberts Rules of Order, the procedures of Stanton City Council, all the departments, Virginia State Code as it applies to Stanton budgeting. It's like drinking from a fire hose. And I think you know, if you're new and you go into a situation like this, it just basically gives the majority much more leeway to move things along the way they want to do it. And if it's not transparent, if it's not open to, to a public process, if it's not fair, uh, new people don't know necessarily when to point that out. And so that's another reason I felt like I had to step forward to insist on a transparent and open and fair process. That's great. That's great that you say that, because my next question was already going to be, um, why do this now? Then you, you, it, uh, me looking outside in, so to speak, it, it, it feels like you could be butting your head against a, a wall for the next couple of years, because the majority that, that four that, those four members who now form that block, um, they're not going anywhere. I mean, unless somebody resigns in the next two years, which I would think is unlikely. You certainly can't predict that. Um, for the next two years, uh, assume you're elected, you're still going to be, you know, uh, outvoted on, on issues if they want to vote as a block, at least four to one, four to three, whatever it may be. Uh, but so you give the answer there, which is, OK, even even though I know 
that if I'm elected and day one, I'm in there, I'm going to be butting my head against the wall. It, it feels like you feel like you can, you can use your, your experience and your knowledge um, to, to at least try to right the ship a little bit, even, even though you, you might be outvoted on a lot of issues. You know, it's a real interesting election, Chris. It's very unusual in local government to have three seats open on city council and have three incumbents who could run for their seats again and not one, not two, but all three incumbents decide they don't wanna rerun. That's very unusual. And what that tells me is that it's hard to be on Stanton City Council these days. Would I say it's a thankless job? I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's really hard. And I think those three may well be burned out. And you know, they fought the good fight and you know, I send, send them on their way with, with my thanks and congratulations. And I hope they can get some rest and, and you know, sort of de-stress. Um, and then you have to ask yourself too, Chris, it's also an unusual election when most of the candidates who choose to run for three open seats, open seat is an excellent opportunity to get elected. When all the candidates except one are people without experience. You know, there were, there were my two colleagues who, who, who could have decided to run, but they didn't. Um, there are other people who served on Stanton City Council who could run, but they're not running. And I think, again, that speaks to this may not seem like that attractive of a job to people who know about it. Even look on the conservative side. There's really only one candidate, as far as I know, who identifies as a conservative. Whereas two years ago, there were four of them and they ran together as a slate. And there was a lot of coordination and a lot of energy. And now the energy on their side seems to be quite low, honestly. So I don't know that anybody is that excited about this city council. And I've talked to people on both sides, Chris. I try to be as nonpartisan as I can. And I have nothing against conservatives being on city council. I actually think it's good. I think you need diversity of opinion. If you have all people who think alike, then um, you're gonna miss a lot of good ideas. So I think we should have conservatives on council along with progressives. I consider myself a pragmatic progressive. And I like working with other progressives and with conservatives on stuff that's not political. Um, but you know, if people chose to choose to vote as a block most of the time, um, then you know it's not going to be that attractive for people outside their block. So what is that person to do? That person's role seems to be to stand for the citizens. The, the block may not be representing what the citizens really want. But if the block is not being transparent, fair, and open, then it would be up to you know, somebody who's not in that block to constantly shine the sunshine uh, of public, you know, public scrutiny on what that group of people is doing. I can make an analogy you know, as we're talking about this, you know, to what we're seeing at the national level right now. It doesn't feel like in D.C. that our leaders are debating the merits of uh, what we can do about climate change or to improve public education or improve health care. Uh, improve civil rights. We're just talking about it's personality politics. It's one side wants power and the other side wants them out of power. Um, what are, you know, that, so that I, I, I sense, I sense some of that dynamic perhaps in Stanton right now, just because the, the majority block right now is, is, is acting very much like uh, some folks in DC. Um, outside of the transparency, what are some of the things that you think that, you know, once we can get past personality politics and power politics, what are some of the things that we, we need to do in Stanton to get things moving back in the right direction? So, so number one, whatever you think of the majority on city council, and I happen to disagree with 
many of the decisions that they've made and especially the way they've gone about it, which really I, I don't think has been open. Um, but whatever you think, they are on city council and they will be for two years, as you said. So I think job one is just to bring down the drama. And, and this is what voters have been telling me is I got my petition signed. So many people on both sides said too much drama, too many personalities. So my goal would be to work collegially with everybody. And I know I'm gonna lose some votes on, on the side of people who hate uh, the, the current city council. But if folks are elected and you are also elected, you have a responsibility to work with them when you can in the citizens' best interest and not to just oppose people just to be partisan. Mm -hmm. So that would be number one, bring down the drama and kick out the partisanship. Go back to the way we used to do things, which was a good way, um, just cooperating. We may disagree on issues, that's okay. That's, that can be great because then you can come up with some good ideas. Sometimes you just have to stand firm. Sometimes you compromise. And sometimes if you treat people with respect and dignity, you can actually find that you may have more in common than you think. But if your approach is just to assume that people are so foolish or evil that you can't work with them, that kind of us versus them mentality, it's not healthy on the national level. And it has no place at all in a town like ours where you know neighbors have to live together. Uh, and one of the things that makes a place like Stanton great is that people get along. So um, that's number one, take down the drama um, it, while making things more transparent. Number two, why did they have to fight over the school budget so much? That seemed totally pointless. In the end, they all wound up agreeing to basically give the schools most of what they were asking. Why couldn't they have done that at the beginning? Both conservatives and liberals agree, Stanton needs a strong school system. And our teachers are underpaid, our aides are underpaid, everybody's underpaid. They're overworked, COVID has made things difficult for them. They have a very tough job, but their job is super important, educating our kids. And by the way, my kids are not in school, they're 25 and 27 years old, but I still value public education because those are creating the citizens of the future, number one. We owe it to our kids, we owe it to ourselves. And number two, just from a selfish, purely selfish reason, Good schools mean good property values. The value of my house goes up and that's my main investment, my family's main investment, as it is for most people who own homes. And so we should all care about the school system. So more help for the schools, more creative ways to find funding. If it's not through the usual taxes, let's come up with something else, not raise taxes. That is not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for more creative ways to find funding. For example, maybe through the private sector. Um, so more creativity, for education and for everything else, economic development. I don't wanna see the Stanton Crossing property sort of privatized into some hands of real estate developers through some process that is not open and transparent. I wanna see the city get the maximum dollar and the maximum benefit in terms of business development that's gonna bring in taxes at the highest level for the longest period in the future and create good jobs. I think the city should insist on remaining part of that process and not sort of outsource that to, to local developers. Um, and then Chris, you know, I care about issues like uh, equity and inclusivity. I care about clean energy. I think Stanton has done almost nothing for that. 
Um, there are things we could do, common sense things that we could do that would, would save the city money and save the citizens money and help us be sustainable, which is definitely something our citizens want. And then of course I support walkability, bikeability and quality of life. I'm so glad, Chris, that they continued doing the Beverly Street outdoor dining on the weekends. And Chris, you may not know that, and I don't like to brag, but when you're a politician, you have to. That was actually my idea. I sent, I saw that some other cities were doing this. This was back in March of 2020, when everybody was shutting down everything because of the pandemic. We were all panicked, as we should, you know, we should have been concerned. But it was killing our local restaurants and it was killing our tourism. So I saw some article about how other cities were doing outdoor dining and they could do it in a safe way with social distancing. And so I brought this article to my colleagues on city council. I brought it to the city manager. We went through a process and we came up with this idea to let the restaurants serve outside on the weekends. And boy, do people love it. Um, I think it's become an economic development generator just by itself. I'd like to see more things like that. Yeah, thank you for that, by the way. My uh, wife and some friends and I, uh, we, we, we take advantage of that opportunity to do that uh, on a regular basis in downtown Stanton. Uh, we've only we've only dined outside in downtown Stanton and in Manhattan. So, yeah, it was an idea that uh, uh, big cities use and Stanton is using to great advantage. Every time I go, it seems like um, there are the, the streets are packed full of people. Uh, and we've gone at different times on weekends. And um, what a what a wonderful idea. And glad to see that. So if we have to take some positive things from the pandemic era, that is one hopefully that lasts for a long, long time. Uh, and continues to pay dividends, uh, both for those downtown businesses and tourism in Stanton in general. You know, Chris, when you create, I know you're, you're a student of good uh, urban development and planning and community. And when you create a public space like that, that's beautiful, that's fun, and that's safe, um, what you get is everybody goes there. Uh, families with young kids go there because they know their kids can play. Um, Older folks go there because you know it's easy for them to walk and they don't have to worry about traffic. Um, we had some issues with handicapped access, but I think we've been working on those. Um, so it's really a place for everybody and it makes our community stronger, not just economically, but culturally as well. So outside of all this, uh, what have you been working on really? I know you mentioned uh, uh, earlier your work on environmental issues and climate change issues. Uh, I know you've written extensively about these things. What have you What have you been working on in that realm in the last couple of years since uh, uh, folks last uh, were paying close attention to you as a Stanton City Council member? Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I work for a solar company. That's my day job. And our biggest market is K through 12 public schools. And so for 10 years, we've been putting solar panels on the top of schools. We put them in Augusta County. Uh, we put them in Waynesboro. Uh, we put them in Albemarle County, pretty much every place around here except Stanton, which is somewhat ironic. Um, but anyway, Chris, uh, one good thing they're doing in Waynesboro, uh, the superintendent has, has arranged for them to get eight electric school buses. Think about that. I don't know how big their total fleet is, but eight must be a pretty substantial proportion of it, maybe a third. Um, and so I like, I'm just uh, very enthusiastic about electric vehicles. And I like electric school buses in particular because number one, diesel school buses haven't made much progress in the last 50 years. They're safe from a, a you know, vehicle construction standpoint, but unfortunately they're not safe from an air quality standpoint. And the air inside a diesel bus, you know how dirty it can be outside. You know, you got that exhaust. If you're parked behind a diesel bus that's idling, 
uh, it's a very nasty experience. Unfortunately, also on the inside of the bus, the air can be up to 12 times more polluted than the air outside. And that pollution is serious stuff. It causes in the short term, uh, neurological damage that can make it hard for kids to pay attention in class, which can affect test scores and grades. Um, in the longer term, it causes terrible things like asthma and cancer. And so to handicap our kids like this in a vehicle that's supposed to be safe, sending them to our schools, our kids deserve better. And so in the past, there wasn't much we could do about it. But now there is. Electric school buses are practical. They have a range of between 100 and 130 miles, which is enough for 90% of routes across the country. Um, they uh, are great to drive. A driver who's driven an electric school bus almost never wants to go back because they are they handle well, they accelerate very um, with a lot of power, and best of all, they're quiet, so the kids are better behaved, um, and the kids have less stress. Driver has less stress. You know, there's a shortage of school bus drivers, and so. But the one problem with electric school buses is they're expensive. They can cost still as much as three or four times more than a diesel bus. Well, no school division's got the money to pay for that. So what Waynesboro and other places have done is they've gotten grants from Dominion, from uh, the Department of Environmental Quality, and now the EPA is offering grants. And so there's lots of money out there for schools to get electric buses. And so Chris, this is sort of my latest thing. I think if we could get every diesel bus replaced by an EV by 2030, not only would we improve the health of a lot of kids, but we would help create uh, economies of scale that would bring down the cost of batteries for transit buses, for vans, for 18 wheel trucks and for passenger cars. And so if you use schools as sort of the way, the lever to do that and the money is there and the need is there, then the ripple effects just go across society and will help us change to electric vehicles much more quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great idea there. Uh, it, with with more demand from consumers uh, and school systems being consumers, yeah, it would push innovation and and drive costs down. So, love to, and then that has a local impact. Hey, it already has a local impact for me over here in Waynesboro. So, I'm glad to hear. Uh, glad to hear that. That's uh, that makes a that makes it all lo- makes climate change local. It doesn't have to be something that is un- intangible out out there kind of thing. This is this is right in our backyard. You know, and I, I hope you'll interview Dr. Castle. Uh, the superintendent of Waynesboro Schools, because he's a leader in the state on this issue. He just loves electric vehicles. He's got solar. And so we'll be interested to see how the solar works with the electric vehicles in Waynesboro Schools. That's a great, that's a great plan. Well, uh, I'll, I'll take that booking recommendation and use it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Eric, as always, it's great talking with you and we'll talk with you during the campaign. It's, uh, it's, it's still just June and we have all the way till November. Uh, but uh, for our listeners out there, um, we'll have more information on our website. In fact, later, uh, I'll, I'll write a couple of stories out of this interview. In addition to the fact that the interview is posted uh, to, to our, our various means of getting it out there. But uh, uh, yeah, we want to help uh, get the word out. So Eric, as always, thank you for your time. Great talking with you again. Chris, thank you. And, and thanks for covering local politics. I think it does real service to our citizens. <laughs>